I'd like you to turn to Acts chapter 13. We're looking at Paul's first missionary journey, which is in both Acts 13 and 14. So those are the two chapters we're going to cover this morning. Usually, people accept Christ as their Savior by faith. Very few by sight. Paul was one of the very few exceptions. Most people believe in the Lord Jesus Christ because either they read the gospel and are converted, or they hear the gospel preached and are converted, but neither happened with Paul. An extremely bright light knocked him to the ground and a voice from heaven called, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul answered, Who are you, Lord? Now, why did Paul assume that it was the Lord speaking? I believe it was from seeing Stephen martyred and hearing his unanswerable testimony of seeing heaven opened and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Father, as we heard last week, I think that's why. The Lord answered, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city, and it will be told you what you must do. Saul obeyed, but he was blind for three days and had to be led by hand. Now some folks have said, instead of reading and hearing the scripture, it would be easier for them to believe if they saw a bright light and heard the voice of the Lord and were struck blind for three days. But no one should wish that because the Lord states he had an extremely painful ministry for Paul and the Lord promises, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Most Christians could not steadfastly endure what Paul subsequently suffered for the name of Christ. Before Paul had finished the round trip of his first missionary journey, he taught all the new Christians a lesson that he had learned violently. We must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. Furthermore, the Lord promises those tribulations because in Hebrews 12.6 it says, For whom the Lord loves, chastens, and scourges every son whom he receives. So although the Lord loved Paul, he certainly scourged him. In fact, on Paul's very first missionary journey, which is our topic today, He was stoned, his bloody corpse dragged out of the city and left for dead. But while disciples stood around him, he arose and entered the city, and the next day he left for Derbe with Barnabas. So after being stoned and left for dead, most people would not stand up and leave for Derbe. They would stand up and leave for home. They would go on TV talk shows and display their wounds and ask for donations. What they would not do 
is continue faithfully in preaching the gospel of Christ despite violent torture and constant persecution. So what is God revealing about himself through the life of Paul? Romans 8.16 says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified with him. So how does this lesson relate to our lives today? I believe that even while doing the will of God, you will suffer. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So, what did Paul suffer for the sake of the name of the risen Christ who appeared to him on the road to Damascus? Most biblical scholars agree that throughout all his missionary travels, Paul traveled more than 10,000 miles by foot. That's the equivalent of walking to and from New York City to Los Angeles four times. And they weren't leisurely strolls through the park either. Paul recounts some of the dangers he faced while traveling, and I'm going to recount them to you. They're listed in 2 Corinthians 11, starting verse 23. Paul says, Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors, more abundant. In stripes, above measure. In prisons, more frequently. In deaths, often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned which, by the way, took place in today's lesson on his first missionary journey. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things which comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. Who's weak? And I am not weak. Who's made to stumble? And I do not burn with indignation. If I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. The God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that I'm not lying. In Damascus, the governor, Andaritus the king, was guarding the city of the Damascenes with a garrison desiring to arrest me. But I was let down in a basket through a window of the wall and escaped from his hand. And finally, 
Paul was imprisoned in Rome and beheaded by Nero. In the hymn that we sang this morning, it said that they'd be willing to die. Talking about Paul's testimony, being willing to die. Paul was a steadfast believer, a willing martyr in the service of the risen Christ. His first missionary journey occurred, as you'll see on the screen here, in 45 A.D. and covered more than 1,400 miles, arriving back in Syrian Antioch in Turkey three years later in 48 A.D. So to get from Jerusalem to Antioch, Paul had to walk 300 miles just to get started. Do not ask Google Maps how many miles from Jerusalem to Antioch. Because in my research, I did that, and it states 11,902 kilometers. The miles distance 7,396.1, which turns out to be the distance from Jerusalem to Antioch, California. You don't need to thank me. I'm just saving you a lot of time and confusion because I really did search thinking, Google can certainly give me this information, but that it could not. Paul was born around 5 AD, so he would be around 40 years old on this first missionary journey that you're looking at. The point of these maps and timeline is to establish in our minds the historical accuracy and bona fide reality of time and place in the spread of Christianity. Not by force, not with the sword, but simply preaching the word of God and men listening and choosing to accept or reject Christ as their Savior. The spread of Christianity was witnessed by men who did not kill themselves and others, shouting Allah Akbar, but was witnessed by men who were martyred alone by other people as they prayed for their enemies. Lord, do not lay this sin to their charge. This is the historical account of the spread of Christianity by the early acts of the apostle, hence the name of the book that we're studying, the book of Acts. The first missionary journey begins with the Holy Spirit setting apart Solomon Barnabas for missionary work in 45 AD. And note on the map that there are two Antiochs, Antioch, Syria, and further northwest, Antioch, Pisidia in Turkey. From Antioch, Syria, Barnabas and Saul traveled 16 miles to the coast to the port of Seleucia Pira, and from there they boarded a ship bound for the island of Cyprus, 100 miles southwest of Seleucia. So they went 100 miles by ship to Cyprus. They preached Christ at the Jewish synagogue in Salamis, their first stop on the island of Cyprus. And a young man was with them named John Mark, who was the son of a wealthy woman named Mary, not that Mary, who was a homeowner in Jerusalem. 
She had at least one maidservant named Rhoda who kept Peter waiting at the gate while a prayer meeting was happening in Mary's house. Her son, John Mark, was a cousin to Barnabas and traveled as their helper. Later, John Mark wrote the Gospel of Mark. Paul and Barnabas preached throughout the whole island, and when they arrived in Paphos, the island's capital city, they were opposed by Bar-Jesus slash Elymas, two names, the magician who tried to prevent the Roman proconsul Sergius Paulus, ruler of the island, from being a Christian. So I'm going to read to you that brief incident, and it's in Acts 13 in your Bibles. Acts 13, beginning at verse 9. But Saul, filled with the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze on him and said, You are full of deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness. Will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is on you, and you will be blind and not see the sun for a time. Immediately a mist and darkness fell upon him, and he needed someone to lead him by the hand. The proconsul saw this and immediately believed, being amazed at the teaching of the Lord. So up until this time, Paul is referred to by the Hebrew version of his name, Saul. But from this encounter forward, he's always called by the Greek version of his name, Paul since he was a missionary to the Greeks and other Gentiles. Note that the human author Dr. Luke describes Bar-Jesus, the Jewish magician, false prophet, as a man devoted to hindering and turning the proconsul away from the faith. So, what is God revealing about himself through the life of Paul? I believe simply this. God, in his permissive will, allows men to hinder, oppose, and choose unbelief, even when confronted with the truth of the gospel. God does not force men and women to believe in Christ and receive salvation, forgiveness of sins, and eternal life. How does this lesson relate to our lives today? I believe by reminding us that the work of the Lord never goes forward unhindered. During our vacation Bible school starting tomorrow and the five days that follow, you can believe, you can anticipate some kind of hindrance. Some kind of problems will arise. You can count on it. Have The work of God never goes forward unhindered. Your work for the Lord Jesus will always be opposed. When his work in Cyprus was completed, Paul set sail for Perga in Pamphylia, about 150 miles to the northwest. See that on the map. The region of Pamphylia was located on the Mediterranean coast in what is today southwestern Turkey. At this point, Mark, who had accompanied Paul and Barnabas, 
left them and returned to Jerusalem. They then went north to another city named Antioch in the province of Pisidia, often referred to as Pisidian Antioch to distinguish it from Syrian Antioch. And you'll see those two Antiochs on the screen. Paul preached a powerful gospel in the synagogue of Pisidian Antioch in Acts 13, verses 16 to 41, which I'm going to condense as follows for the sake of time. Acts 13, 23, if you want to read with me. From the offspring of David, this is Paul preaching, from the offspring of David, according to the promise, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus. Verse 28. And though they found no ground for putting him to death, they asked Pilate that he be executed. And when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. Verse 38. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins, and by him everyone including Jew and Gentile, everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Now, drop down to verse 42. So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. And when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and contradicting and blaspheming. They opposed the things spoken by Paul. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first, but since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord, and as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region. But the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent women and the chief men of the city, raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and expelled them from their region. You see, in the brief passage I read, persecution, tribulation, scourging, not literal scourging, and hindrance. Now, verse 48, I want you to look at this. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life, believed. The appointed people includes those who've been predestined by God given to Christ by the Father, which is God's part, and at the same time, whosoever will may come and drink of the water of life freely, man's part. 
Both the sovereignty of God and the free will of man is clearly taught in Scripture. The danger starts when theologians give too much emphasis on one teaching or the other, which distorts the reality. It says in Revelation twenty-two seventeen, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, Come. And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Whosoever will. Ephesians 1, 4 explains this further. Just as he chose us in him from the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. John six thirty seven says, All that the Father gives me will come to me. That's God's part. And the one who comes to me, man's part, I will by no means cast out. John 6.40 says, And this is the will of him who sent me, God's part, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him, man's part, may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up the last day, God's part. Acts 2.21 says, And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord, man's part, shall be saved, God's part. John 7.37, On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood up and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Man's part. And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. That's God's part. Salvation. Let him who hears say, Come. Let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. And that's man's part. So, what is God revealing about himself through the life of Paul? I believe that God is not willing that any should perish, and the Holy Spirit draws men and women to Christ, and whoever wants to may come to Christ. Consequently, Paul's ministry to the Gentiles was blessed mightily by God. Behold, we turn to the Gentiles, for so the Lord has commanded us, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be for the salvation to the ends of the earth. Now, how does this lesson relate to our lives today? I believe this, that 2,000 years later, we are the proof of a great light to the Gentiles and salvation to the ends of the earth. Each of us have had a choice to accept or reject the gift of God, which is faith in the finished, shed blood work of Jesus Christ on the cross for our sins, accomplished by his death, burial, and resurrection. The message was so well received at Antioch that the Jewish leaders became jealous and began to obstruct Paul and Barnabas, causing them to turn from the Jews and preach to the non-Jewish population. The Jewish leaders then stirred up the leaders of the city and had Paul and Barnabas expelled from the region. And despite this opposition, Luke writes, the word of the Lord 
was being spread throughout all the region. That's in verse 49. So after being expelled from Pisidian Antioch in verse 51, Paul and Barnabas shook off the dust of their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. What precisely does that mean? Shook off the dust of their feet. I believe it refers to Christ's injunction in Matthew 10, 14 that I'm going to read to you. Here's what Christ said. And whoever will not receive you nor hear your words when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how and what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. So, what is God revealing about himself through the life of Paul? I believe this, that God will severely judge those who will not receive Christ's messengers of eternal life, nor hear and believe the good news of the Savior. How does this lesson relate to our lives today? It's a reminder to us of the sure judgment of God to come on those who reject and repudiate the gospel and that will we be persecuted by unbelievers, but the Holy Spirit will give us words to speak when we're persecuted. So after being kicked out of Pisidian Antioch, Paul and Barnabas continued north into Galatia, which you can see on the map, a Roman province in what is central Turkey today, where they preached in the cities of Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. It is probable that Paul's letter to the Galatians was intended for the Christians in these towns. In Iconium, they preached in the Jewish synagogue, and a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the Jews who disbelieved stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and embittered them against the brethren. However, Paul and Barnabas persisted in preaching and the Lord caused signs and wonders to be done by their hands. The city was divided with some siding with the Jews, some with the apostles. When rulers of both the Jewish and Gentile factions planned to stone them, they fled 20 miles to Lystra, where the population tried to worship them as gods after Paul healed a man who had been crippled from birth. Again, you can see Lystra on the map, 20 miles to Lystra. So how fickle are people? Here in a space of only 20 miles and a couple of days, they bounced back and forth from being stoned as criminals to being worshipped as gods, and then again being stoned as criminals. 
After trying to worship Paul and Barnabas as gods, the folks at Lystra were soon convinced to stone Paul after Jews from Antioch and Iconium arrived and convinced the multitude to turn against him. So after suffering deadly crushing blows of heavy rocks rained down on him, they dragged Paul's body outside the city and left him for dead so that ravenous scavenger dogs could circle around him and devour his corpse. Instead of dog circling, Acts 14.20 says it was disciples which circled him, which gathered around him. They stared sorrowfully at the lifeless, bloody body of Paul, deeply mourning and devastated because first Stephen killed, and now another hero of the faith, Paul killed. It's quite possible Paul's heart stopped beating and he stopped breathing for 15 minutes. He appeared dead to both his murderers and to the disciples. He looked hopelessly crushed and bloody. That's why the disciples stared at him instead of binding up his wounds like the good Samaritan did. The Jews who were stoning him certainly thought he was dead. The disciples viewing the same evidence were convinced Paul had been stoned to death. Scripture skips those details because Paul was not seeking to glorify himself, nor was Luke who relates this passage to us. Larry mentioned that last week. Luke only mentions in verse 20, he rose up, went to the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. But it was truly miraculous that Paul was instantly healed enough to get up and leave the city the next day for Derby with Barnabas because it took me 54 days to recover from my breath and heart stopping for 15 minutes. Many Bible scholars think the vision mentioned in 2 Corinthians 12, 1 through 11 occurred during this near-death experience while he was unconscious and his heart stopped beating. I'm going to read that to you. 2 Corinthians 12, 1 says this. Again, Paul speaking. It is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. Paul, not seeking to glory himself, begins speaking on the third person from this point forward. Verse 2. Third person. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. How he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one, I will boast. Now back to the first person. Paul shifts back. Yet of myself, I will not boast except in my infirmities. For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth. But I refrain lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, 
a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. I have become a fool in boasting you've compelled me, for I ought to have been commended by you. For in nothing was I behind the most eminent apostles, though I am nothing. So from this stoning, floggings, and scourging, Paul received the scars, the marks of Jesus, referred to in Galatians 6.17 that I'm going to read to you. Galatians 6.17, from now on, again, this is Paul speaking, from now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. After making many disciples at Derby, he returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Pisidian Antioch, encouraging the churches they had started and appointed elders in them. Now look at Acts 14, verse 21. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in which they had believed. Then they returned to Syria, arriving back in Syrian Antioch after a total round-trip journey of more than 1,400 miles lasting three years until 48 A.D. They gave an account of all their experiences, causing great joy among the disciples, how God had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. So what is God revealing about himself through the life of Paul? I believe that Although Paul's body was crushed, bloody, and looked dead, God raised and healed him so that he could walk to Derby the next day. Although all the scars and marks remained, may have even affected his eyesight the rest of his life as a thorn from a demon who was Satan's messenger. So sometimes God's phenomenal grace and love toward Paul included a severe mercy and terrible scourging. Along with great miraculous revelation, God sometimes allows great pain, trials, tribulations, and inconvenience like he did with Joseph, like he did with Job, like he did with Paul, like he did with Isaiah, and at least 11 other disciples since John is the only one who died of old age. So you have to ask yourself, you 
who are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed you suffer with him, you may also be glorified with him. Did Paul suffer with Christ? No doubt. Probably more than any man. Will Paul be glorified with Christ? Oh yeah. Probably more than any man. So how does this lesson relate to our lives today? Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break with blessings on your head. Just like they did with Paul. The same way. Blessings broke on that man's head with his devotion to Christ, despite the tortures that he went through. The blessings broke on his head. Let's close in prayer as we think about these things on the first missionary journey of Paul. Blessed Lord, we give you thanks for the example that we see in Paul's life. Example of faithfulness. Despite the issues, despite the problems, despite the seemingly terrible consequences, because they were greater blessings to be received. There were blessings that broke on his head afterward, and that he was received up in glory. We give you thanks for these revelations that we see of Christ's first mission, of Paul's first missionary journey in relating Christ to the Gentiles. And we give you thanks that as Gentiles ourselves, we now have heard that same gospel of Christ and have received the gift of eternal life. We give you thanks in Christ's name.